Hey there, welcome to Sauce and Bound Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Dana, head of growth at Sauce Group, a serial acquirer buying wonderful sauce businesses to take them to the next level. And here I chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. And today with me is Espen, co-founder of Userflow, a no-code user onboarding product for sauce companies that he bootstrapped to 4.6 billion, correct me if I'm wrong, um, right. with just a team of three and then sold for what the gossip is at least a whopping 60 million <laughs> and i'm not even sure if you're if you're uh going to disclose like the real amount but welcome to the show <laughs> thank you all right uh, yeah, um, no, I, I won't get into the details of the deal but yeah it's it was a good deal for us Okay. All right. Well, you, I, I can see you're traveling. You know, I, I was kind of hoping to catch you in Mexico. You're in New Zealand. So, okay. It's going great. Uh, I can, I can totally see that, but, uh, yeah, well, first of all, it made the news like, uh, last year when we did the, the podcast, when I asked you if, you know, exit is anywhere on your roadmap, you said, no, you were going to, um to go to the magical number of 10 10 million dollars in ARR uh but yeah and you were absolutely sure that you were able to do that with a team of three just a little slower so what changed like what what is the rush suddenly no so there there's no rush I think I still very much believe that userflow could have made it to 10 million ARR with just a team of three uh, we were already on that trajectory um so we've been growing consistently the last year. Uh, it's been a great year, actually, uh, despite all the market conditions. Um, but I think for us, it was more, uh, I think, a mixture of two things. It was a, a good opportunity that when Beamer came into the picture and wanted to partner up. Uh, and so both from a personal financial benefit perspective, but also that we felt that they would take good care of use flow. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was just a good offer basically. And that's why we decided to, to change our minds. Uh, but yeah, of course it needed to be a good offer because we were already doing really well. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so let's, let's talk about the synergies. Let's, uh, maybe, um, yeah, explore like how you decided it's going to be a, a good deal in terms of like merger, as far as yeah. I understand. It's, it's not really a merger for now. You're going to just continue as two independent products. But uh, yeah, what is Beamer and like, how does it align with, with what user flow does? Yeah, no, so yeah, you're right. We For now, we are continuing as two products. I mean, in the future, we'll see. Um, but I think the, what Beamer is doing, so those not familiar with Beamer, is it's a, it was, they're very much like a similar company to Userflow. They were bootstrapped, uh, very product-led, uh, and their primary product was a changelog. Uh, so you could basically build a changelog for all your product updates and these kind of things. Uh, at some point, they decided to expand their portfolio into things like NPS surveys and most recently a feedback module where you can basically uh, kind of create product ideas and rank them and so forth. Um, so they, they've been expanding uh, and similar to how we've been expanding. So they, they're very much like an in-app widget similar to Userflow. It's content that lives inside your pro uh, the customer's product. Uh, 
So in, in that way, we are very similar, uh, where we have focused on the onboarding and kind of uh, also had some survey elements and also had uh, uh, some other elements, but we've been more focused on kind of uh, the initial onboarding and the recurring onboarding where they have been focused on like product communications, product news and so forth. Um, and if you look at the, the modern uh, kind of product manager, uh, that's really, uh, they need all those things, right? Uh, so that's where we're going with, with this merger is basically building a, a toolkit for the modern product manager uh, where they don't have to rely on developers to build everything. They can start building stuff with no code uh, as we have allowed them with Userflow and Beamer has allowed it with Beamer's functionality. So there was a lot of synergies basically between the products to, to build a, a more, um, you can say, stronger company uh, together uh, that can go up and beat the, the bigger players in the, in the market. Right, right. Because the, the market you're operating in is, is fairly saturated and, and competitive. But uh, yeah, I mean, you already have an experience uh, building and growing a bigger company with Cobalt. I think you, you raised $40 million, right? And uh, um, Beamer also started as, as a bootstrap then earlier this year, I guess. Oh, sorry, last year, uh, they raised uh, a bit of funding. And now you're going that route as well. So like, is it because, you know, once you kind of happy with what the product looks like, there is the next stage of building a company and that's not necessarily your, your cup of tea. Like you, you don't, you don't really want to maybe grow the team, you know, work on the culture and, and all that. Uh, was that kind of in the mix for the decision to sell the company or, you know, it wasn't no, really an issue? Yeah, yes and no, because I think with Userflow, as I said in the beginning, we very much believe we could have taken it to 10 million with just a team of three. So it wasn't really, that wasn't the choice, I think, for us, uh, because it, of course it would have gone slower than it can now with, with the partnership with Beamer and and the merger, they can grow a lot faster, you know, things like you can speed up marketing, you can speed up sales, etc. So you can do different kind of things that will allow the combined companies to grow faster. Uh, but for us personally, we didn't need it to do that, right? Like, uh, so for me and Sebastian as founders, we would have been happy to grow to 10 million, you know, in less time than, than, than the merger now is looking to do, right? Um, and, and basically, uh, I think what, what kind of more drove us towards the decision was, of course, uh, we felt we had built an amazing product. Uh, we felt we had kind of built a, a very feature complete product, to be honest. Um, so, so it was more, we were at a stage where we were kind of thinking, what's the next thing we're going to do, right? Like, what are we going to build next? Because we kind of felt like if we looked at our competitors, we were very uh, on par or above them in, in feature parity. Um, so it was whatever we were going to do from this point on was going to be a new thing, right? Um, so we could either choose to do that and we would have been happy to do that, uh, or uh, we could partner up with somebody who were willing to also uh, basically uh, give Sebastian and I uh, some, some uh, you can say, financial, personal benefit, right? Um, so, so we took some risk off the table by doing that, and then uh, we we were 
we could basically continue and and we felt that that user flow uh, together with beamer can also grow a lot faster so it's, it is that mix really for a founder like me i'm not uh, and i'm fully with you i'm i'm not a person who want to i've tried that with cobalt uh, building a company that I don't want to do that again. Uh, I'm I'm going to be very honest about that, uh, uh, and that's why I'm happy that Satya uh, is the CEO of Beamer. Is there? He has a full team behind him, um, so there's a full team already re ready to build that company and run the company, right? Um, so Sebastian and I, we don't need to do that, um, and that's also not us as founder mentality. That's not something we want to do, really. Um, so, so, so that felt good too, that, that we can kind of hand over to somebody who actually want to build that kind of business. Um, so, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So uh, you're stepping down like, cause you know, as, well, uh, we're, we're not, we're not going to be the CEO and uh, CTO mm -hmm. or, or CTO of the company anymore. Right. But we're definitely going to have an influence on, on what's going to happen in the future. Um, but but there is a, a CEO at Beamer and uh, Satya will continue to be the CEO. He, by the way, came from, which is a funny thing, he came from our world. Uh, he actually built a very similar product to uh, Userflow in his past. He co-founded that and, and sold it. Uh, so he's very, very familiar with uh, our space. Uh, so that also made it a really good fit. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So maybe let's talk a little bit about the, the deal. And I'm not asking about too many details, but uh, I would assume, you know, <laughs> after you started making, I don't know, one, three, four million dollars a year, uh, people started approaching you. I mean, that's also our space at SaaS Group. Like, honestly, like when uh, new people would join SaaS Group and they would learn about the podcast, uh your name popped up mo more than anybody else like you have to interview Espen and I'm like yeah I did that <laughs> so, <laughs> um so yeah um I mean how yeah how did you how did you navigate this like because you again you told me as many other hosts yeah. you, you were not really looking for an exit were you kind of no. still in uh, supporting these relationships, building these relationships just in case, as many suggest, yeah. or, no, you know. I think, I think I would always do that. Unless you have to spend a lot of time on it, uh, I would mm -hmm. always build relations. Um, I think it's very important you build relations with somebody who is like seriously also looking at you and not just, yeah. you know, they're unfortunately in your market. Uh, so what I like about companies like Camber and you guys and, and similar is you're very focused in your outreach. Uh, you're very clear about what you're looking for. So both of you are looking for like PLG, kind of uh, very SaaS uh, software companies, uh, you know, PLG, ideally bootstrapped uh, companies. Uh, because they're very capital efficient, they believe in self-service and all these great things, right? Um, and I like that because you have a clear focus about what you want to do, and Camber has the same kind of focus. Uh, so Camber, by the way, for those who don't know, is the kind of uh, private equity company that's bagging the whole deal. So they're basically the ones who invested in Beamer and has been a big financial part of the merger with Userflow. Um, so... Um, what I like about that is you're very focused 
And whereas we get a lot of outreach for people who are not very focused, as soon as you reach a certain AR level, you start getting a lot of spam. It's kind of similar to how you get sales emails about different kind of tools. You actually get these kind of emails. Yeah, we are looking to acquire companies in your range. And I went on a couple of calls with those companies and then uh, often they wouldn't even know what we did as a business, which I found really, you know, that's just bad, right? Uh, first of all, they don't know what you do. Secondly, you, you tend to be speaking with some kind of junior. It's kind of similar to VC game. You, yeah. you should never speak to the analysts, right? You should speak to the partners, uh, never speak to the analysts. Um, so, so the private equity game has a lot of spammers, uh, and that's a bit unfortunate. Um, so those you should be very careful, especially as a bootstrap company, be careful about spending too much time on those kind of companies. Um, the other dimension that of course started reaching out to us when we gained popularity and started growing was the larger strategic players. Um, but I think a problem with them for, especially for like boot, it depends on what kind of bootstrap founder you are. Uh, I think Sebastian and I, we are very, um, we, we're both second time entrepreneurs. We don't really want to be in big companies. Uh, and the problem with strategic players is they will often ask you to stay for like three or four years, uh, you know, uh, be part of a large organization with like thousands of employees. Um, and that's not very attractive, at least not to me as a founder. Uh, I know some founders, they, they like that, uh, or at least they believe they like that. I see many other, many leave <laughs> a lot earlier and don't find out they didn't like that. Um, so I think that that's a problem with, with the more strategic players, but that can also, if you find the right strategic player and you set the right expectations, I think you can find that. So I think what we did was we just continued to always uh, focus on our own business. Like we never had the, the rush to go out and, you know, sell or merge or anything like that. We always thought, yeah, we are grow as long as we're growing, everything is good. We can have these conversations, but we shouldn't settle for anything, right? Like we shouldn't say, yeah, okay, here's a, some kind of good offer. Let's agree to that. Um, so, so it was really, it needed to be a really good offer for us to even consider it, um, basically. Uh, right. So, yeah, so we've basically been navigating it in the same, so, and we might have missed some opportunities because of that, right? But we've said no to a lot of private equity companies, and but we, we definitely met with the larger strategic players um, uh, just because that can also lead to good partnerships, right? Uh, so one should not always look at it from an acquisition perspective. Right, absolutely. And I mean, sometimes strategic um, acquirers could offer much more I mean that's that's usually yeah. kind of how it goes, right? So uh, yeah, it would it would absolutely make sense. But uh, like you said, I think uh, your kind of biggest advantage was the fact that you didn't really need to sell. You you knew that you're growing, you knew you could go further, and that's kind of the best position to be in when when you're yeah. selling, not really selling, just exploring. Uh, so yeah, great. Okay, so how did it go? Like okay. Uh, Beamer approached you or, you know, Camper approached you, you thought, yeah. okay, those guys are pretty cool, right? I want to, I want to yeah. talk with them. I want to, uh, everything looks great. So how was, uh, and was there any, because like, for example, on the podcast, we, we also had s situations when, you know, founders just 
you know, kind of liked each other and decided to sell. And there wasn't too much due diligence or like, for example, no tech due diligence because, well, mm. yeah, when it, it does make sense to do it, of course, but sometimes, you know, you can do a lot with tech, especially if you have a good team. So how did it yep. go for you? Was there any due diligence and what uh, did you do? Yeah, yeah, no, lots of due diligence. Um, so originally how it all came about actually is uh, Justin uh, Johnson from Camber. He met us at Sastock in Dublin uh, this year or last year. Um, uh, and uh, he actually, instead of going and pitching Camber or whatever, he said, do you want to meet with Satya from Beamer? So the CEO of Beamer. Uh, and that was interesting to us because we had actually just launched a feature that was you can use as a changelog. Uh, so we <laughs> we were starting to compete a bit with Beamer. Uh, so it was interesting to kind of hear his thoughts on the market. And that's where it all started from. Then we created a relationship with Satya. Uh, he brought Camber back in the conversation. Uh, and then it went on from there. We agreed on the, you know, high level uh, kind of letter of intent kind of things. Um, and then uh, the, the more uh, kind of detailed due diligence started. Uh, there was some pre-due diligence prior to the letter of intent and then a more detailed due diligence after that. Um, and I think it was a detailed due diligence, but it was very easy for us. And that is because we are a product-led company. And I think that is something that a lot of businesses underrate when they have this conversation about should we be sales-led? Should we be product-led? Um, if you're a small bootstrap company and you're sales-led, not only it's going to be really hard to be efficient as a sales-led company, but when it comes to things like acquisition, you will typically, as a sales-led co uh, company, have a lot of custom stuff. You will have custom contracts. You will have uh, custom deals. You will have custom whatever, where we with a product-led set up, all our subscriptions are created in Stripe. They're done, mostly are done, like 95% are done self-service. Even our enterprise contracts, and we didn't have many, are using our standard language. So no additional liability language, anything like that, right? Um, so really having this super lean uh, product-led motion uh, was really, really powerful in an acquisition process uh, and merging process. So, so, so that is something I I recommend people think a bit about. Um, and then, secondly, I mean, the reason we've been able to grow is because we have an amazing product. Without box, without you know, it's just a great product and it's secure. We are sub two type two. We do a regular pen testing, all that stuff, right? Um, so uh, that made tech due diligence easy as well because it's just a great product. Um, it's not like tied together with a lot of uh, tape and stuff like that. This episode is sponsored by Rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. 
Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com course rewardful.com slash course and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. All right. Somewhere our CTO is very happy because we were just talking about technical intelligence on AMA and uh, it was kind of the dream. Uh, I asked like, what would be the perfect uh, setup in a company for technical intelligence? And that's what they described. So yeah. You're going to be there. I think, uh, and the reason we've been able to keep it like that is because Sebastian has really been the only developer and he's an amazing developer. As soon as you start adding 10 developers, that's where you start getting bugs, you start getting misalignments, you start getting, you know, these kind of things. So uh, one needs to be, it's not always a, a, a kind of, you add one developer and then you can build a lot more. It's not, it's never like that, right? It's actually yeah. often the opposite. You add one developer and it adds more complexity. That's true. But okay, so on that note, you know, Beamer is not a huge company, right? I think they're no. around 40 people. So, but but still, you are adding more developers and you are adding a bit more hierarchy there. Uh, no. What do you expect? And like, again, like, for example, at SaaS Group, we also say, hey, you know, you guys are staying independent, you're independent brands and like nothing really changes. But I mean, you cannot expect nothing to change, right? Some things are going to change. Nope. It's it's absolutely normal. So yeah. what, what are sure. you expecting? What changes? And uh, how are you? Yeah, how, how do you think about this? Basically? I think so the overall vision is really to create, as I mentioned, this toolkit for product managers, right? Um, so whether that will continue to be as two separate products or it over time will merge into something else, we will see. But I think, well, it's not going to decrease in value. It's only going to add more value, right? Uh, it's going to be a foundation for adding more value. Um, so the vision is really to continue to build out this kind of product toolkit, um, either using one product as a base or, or merging the two products, right? Um, and and uh, yeah, uh, so that's that's really the the vision, and it's a vision. I actually love that Beamer is a small company because um, it makes decisions like that a lot easier, right? If we were merging into a large company, uh, you would you would have to you know some some larger companies. I've seen that a couple of times. They just close down the businesses they acquire, right? Um, and, and uh, I wouldn't have liked that for user flow customers to have just sold the business and then somebody would have closed it down. Um, so I think what they're going to continue to do is just user flow is going to continue. Uh, we're going to continue with our customers. We're going to continue to bring value to the customers. And what's going to happen in the future is only more value is going to be given to the customers. So, so that's really how to think about it. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Are you, uh, or do you know of, you know, any plans to add a bit of uh, sales motion to your PLG? Because, well, it seems like everyone's been doing it in 2023. And I mean, 
by the looks of it and like by the talks on on the podcast, I hear that people actually see a bit of change happening already. Like we're not even two months into the year, but uh, it seems like everyone is talking about the fact that, you know, people are relaxing a bit, like it's, it's getting a little bit easier. Maybe, you know, the, the yeah. money's starting to, to flow again. Um, but yeah. still, you know, uh, the, the, I think the common narrative is still going up market. So is there any plan for that for user flow? Um, potentially, I mean, we've been on that journey with user flow for a long time. We have a good share of both lower part of the market, but also continuously been getting market share in the mid mid market and Beamer is the same, right? Uh, so they also started with the lower end of the market, smaller uh, businesses, and I have been uh, basically growing into the mid market. So I think that's where uh, the bread and butter is in the mid market, uh, right? Um, there's less risk of churn and these kind of things. So it's obvious that um, that's a market that we want to play in, but it doesn't mean that we don't want to play in the in the smaller market. Um, so so I think it's it's we're going to continue on the same trajectory where we are basically it's very product led still with Beamer. There's definitely going to be more resources to add sales assist and stuff like that. Uh, where I've always I'm a pretty tough on sales calls. Uh, I don't do sales calls. Uh, I push back a lot on sales calls. Uh, then maybe we'll have some more capacity that some salespeople can actually do a sales call with the customers who prefer to do a call instead of a video. Um, uh, so, so I think the product-led routes are going to stay, uh, but there will be more resources to do stuff on top. Okay, I think, I, and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm mixing it up, but. Um... You said on, on some podcasts that you're even charging extra for like enterprise customers that want a bit of yes. hand holding. Yeah, no, I think that that is something all businesses should do uh, because enterprises, they are ready to pay a lot more money than you think. And mm -hmm. especially us as startup companies, we tend to underprice ourselves. And it's a great way to kind of think big about your company. Uh, look at your competition, look at your biggest competitor in the market. Uh, like the not biggest in the sense of like um, whether they're beating you, but biggest in the sense of size of company mm -hmm. uh, and look at what they're charging. And then you will find your enterprise pricing um, because especially European startups, they underprice themselves massively um, and, and you shouldn't. And a good way to think about that is, okay, then if you want to, if you like this lower price uh, self-service, then at least on your enterprise package, um, charge more, right? Charge a lot more uh, and and do it only for true enterprises, meaning true enterprises is somebody who will need a contract. So typically that's public companies that require something like that. Um, uh, they will need security questionnaires, even though you're SOC 2 type 2, which is ridiculous, right? They send you a security questionnaire, which is exactly the same questions you get asked in a SOC 2 type 2. I mean, this kind of stuff just needs to be charged for, right? Like if, you, right. if you're adding overhead because you're a big company, then you should also be ready to pay for that. Uh, and I think in reality, most enterprise customers are. They know they are being adding overhead and they know that's not uh, good on the companies and they're ready to pay for it. 
Um, so so that's at least what we've seen. Uh, it hasn't been a lot of pushback. And it's been a good kind of way to say, you can go enterprise or you can go pro uh, and stay on our lower plan and get everything still service. But then you also agree to our online terms, right? Um, okay. It's also sometimes been a way to kind of separate who's really a true enterprise and who's just like a mid-market mid customer who really could maybe not, uh, could live with the online terms, right? And again, that makes your life easier, both from an acquisition standpoint and, and in general liability standpoint uh, in the future. Right. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Mike Perham and uh, as a as a uh, fan of uh, J Jason Fried and DHH, maybe, maybe you know him, um, founder of Sidekick. Um, and he's the he's a solo founder and a solo employee in his company yeah. and that's that's, that's what he said as well like yeah at first you kind of think oh like what is one contract but then when you get many 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 more enterprise customers then you're just like okay you guys are gonna pay thrice as much uh just because yeah. you know just two hands um just, just because they're adding overhead and they know it right they know they're yeah. adding overhead and they're happy to pay for it yeah absolutely all right okay so um well you said uh and i i took it as a hint um you said you want to build something next you're thinking about building something is there an idea what's what's next for Aspen and sebastian for, for now we're gonna <laughs> for now we're gonna continue in with userflow and beamer and support that journey uh, for a while but yeah in the few i mean uh, Sebastian and I are entrepreneurs by heart, so maybe there is something in the future. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we have many good ideas. There are some some bigger spaces we want to pursue. I think it's been fun being in the user onboarding space, um, but there are even bigger markets out there that could be interesting to disrupt. Um, so I don't. I'm not going to disclose anything, even though I don't believe the idea is what you should keep secret. But uh, I still don't want to share too much. Yeah, don't jinx it. Okay. All right. Well, and since we started talking about uh, how small the team is and, you know, how you operate and how you make everything happen, uh, I kind of started thinking about the due diligence process again, right? Because like what we do and what we encourage um, founders to do is to get somebody, well, to step out of the role of the CEO, right, the, to step out of the operational role, at least during the due diligence, um, to not disrupt what, what's going on with the company, to not disrupt the actual building of the product and growing the company, because, well, you know, we'll have to deal with it later, right? So if everything stops because of us, that's kind of our fault, we'll have to pick it up. Um, so with just three people, how disruptive was due diligence in the whole like acquisition process for you guys? I mean, there was definitely more data gathering and stuff like that. But as mentioned, because we were running such a lean ship, a lot of the data due diligence was really just adding the Camber team and Beamer team to our tools. So tools like ChartMogul, uh, big fan of ChartMogul. Uh, a bit expensive when you reach our AR level, I must say. I think they should reconsider that. Um, but uh, they are a very great tool for, for all metrics. We, of course, have Stripe. You can add people into QuickBooks. 
Um, so we had a lot of like mix panel. So we had a lot of amazing tools that we can just add uh, the due diligence team into. Um, of course, we also did some spreadsheet gymnastics here and there, but everything was just a lot easier because we had those tools in a very structured format that was easy to digest, easy to you know pull the right data. And um, also want to actually mention HubSpot because we've also been good at uh, running a, a deal pipeline and, and things like that. Um, so, so yeah, uh, all the tools really helped us uh, and us keeping a very structured tool set up uh, has helped us a lot. Okay, so you kind of just had everything in one place. You didn't have to dig for it. And, yeah, we uh... didn't have to like find anything and hmm. and we always been good at also keeping our google drive in order so one thing uh, that's i think both sebastian and i we come sebastian uh, and i think it's part of i don't know if it's we I, it all starts with school but in danish uh, kind of education you kind of learn about structure and these kind of things then i when i was uh, before i did startups i worked in accenture and if one thing I want to say I got out of Accenture is definitely structure and being good at like, you know, keeping your numbers in order, keeping your data and tools, keeping uh, everything exportable so you can easily structure the data, easily play with the data. Um, it's something I learned in Accenture and Sebastian has learned it as a developer, I think, because it's important to stay structured as a developer. Um, so that kind of structural, structural mindset uh, is super valuable in an acquisition merger process. Um, uh, so it's something I would, again, if you're a bootstrap company, don't be too sloppy with, with your data. Don't be, you know, and one way not to be that is really build a product led process because then you're forced. If all subscriptions have to go through Stripe, you're kind of forcing a structure, right? Um, and, and, and that's a good thing. Right. Okay. I think that's a, that's a really good advice. We, we all have to <laughs> have to master a bit of structure in our businesses that, that makes it all so much easier. And that's what, what I keep hearing about every acquisition, but what was the kind of, if any, a surprising moment during the acquisition or, you know, something that you were like, huh, <laughs> I didn't know that's going to be happening. Oh, now I have to think back. Um, I think, in general, it, I mean, of course, I knew there were going to be lawyers involved, but to the extent that lawyers needed to be involved and the disclosure schedules you need to make and these kind of things, that was a, a lot to me. Uh, happily, we were in good hands with a really good legal team, um, but there's definitely a lot of um, paperwork, uh, right? And paperwork in the sense that uh, yes, even though they did the due diligence, then you still have to do the second step of disclosures, which is kind of the same as due diligence, but it's basically just putting whatever they might have discovered in due diligence, put that in writing uh, in a contract. So they're not going to come back later and say, you didn't tell us about this. Um, and uh, that was maybe surprising to me that there was so much work involved in that part, uh, really. Um, uh, but it's good. I think it helps everyone in the end that that there are clear kind of legal language about what the acquirer knew about the company and what they what was even like bad things. It's it as our legal team said, 
it's better to over-disclose than under-disclose. Um, so, yeah. Right. But definitely a, a big legal process was involved, bigger than I imagined. Yeah, yeah, that that's often the case. That's kind of like, what? <laughs> All those yes. papers. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so what, uh, I, I have just one more question about the acquisition. So basically, is there anything that, you know, you believed about the deals being done, the, you know, the building relationships with uh, the founders, which is, you know, kind of considered conventional wisdom in SaaS and uh, SaaS M&A, but turned out to be not true. No, not really. I think, I think what, and that's maybe also a bit... <laughs> What was surprising, a lot of people say it's very hard to, to go through the due diligence and these kind of things, but to me, it was not hard. And I think that was, um, I think it's more saying more about the company is saying that it was hard than it says about the true acquisition process, because the things that companies are asking about in acquisition process is fair. The stuff they're asking about is fair. And it's a problem if you don't have those kind of things. And I think a lot of it stems from companies being too sales-led so they have a lot of custom stuff then they have some kind of customer ah let's just add this different kind of add-on to them and they're going to get it at this price and maybe we'll just tweak this deal to be just like this right or they're paying for seats instead of maus or you know if you start making these kind of custom stuff and then the person who did the custom stuff leaves the company and then nobody knew how that deal was structured and why it was structured like that that's a problem in due diligence right um so again it's just a benefit of product-led growth that not too many people talk about it's really like the more you put in a structured format in your product the more you make self service the more accurate database you get it's kind of um, Similar, I, I, you can look at it and what's the best uh, lead database in the world? It's LinkedIn because people self-service updated all the time. Uh, and that's, I think it's kind of the same with a SaaS company. Uh, the more you get your users to do self-service, the more accurate your data is going to be. Okay, that's great. Thank you. All right. And then uh, the last one is going to be about a hack, you know, a hack or advice, put it any any way you want uh, for the founders who are, you know, looking for an exit, looking for that perfect alignment with, with an acquirer. Uh, what would you recommend? Yeah, I think it's important to never be um, kind of desperate looking for an acquisition. And uh, so you have to trust in your company, trust, always have this idea that you can build a, continue to build a strong company. So you, you are, you're in, you, you are strong in a strong position. Of course, there will be situations where you're not in a strong position and that's also fair. Um, uh, but it's always better to be in a strong position like we were. Uh, so I think that's, don't think of it like an, an exit as the ultimate goal. Think about, I can still continue to grow my business. It's going to be great. Uh, for me. Um, but then a hack, I would definitely say it's still important, even as a strong business that could continue to grow, but also as the weaker business, 
you have to network, you have to go to the conference, even though the conferences might seem like a waste of time from a sales perspective, that's where the deals are made. I've seen it now. Million, I think even the Paddle ProfitWell deal was made at the SaaS stock, right? Um, it's just, that's an example. I think that's where you, it's hard to make deals in, in uh, over email. It's one of the few, I'm, I'm a big believer in asynchronous work, uh, working from all over the world, but I don't think a lot of acquisition deals are made in that way. Uh, honestly, I think it's very much meeting in person and that's how it all starts. Right. That makes sense. I mean, everyone says, sure, like you, you can absolutely work remotely. You can absolutely work asynchronously, but once, you know, you, you're talking about bigger deals and the bigger checks and like real uh acquisitions happening it's always better to meet in person because well people trust you with that much more money and it means that you're yeah. probably in for a way longer relationships and you know if they commit to your product without seeing you without knowing what you're actually doing they're they may be in for a very shitty experience for a very long time because it's like it's it's not so easy to drop it at the end and uh so i think you're absolutely right well it's uh it's been great talking with you i mean congratulations again on the deal um it was quite a surprise but we're happy that you're happy <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm, I, it's, a, it, you know, it's always sad. I mean, because it, we were telling a great story to all the bootstrappers out there. And I, it could have been fantastic telling that story of three people reaching 10 million, right? But I, I still think telling the story of three people reaching 4.6 million is also a great story. Uh, so I'm happy we got to tell that story. And, and then uh, hopefully at Beamer, uh, Beamer Userflow will will uh, tell a whole other fantastic story uh, in the future. Yes, absolutely. All right. So, uh, you know, excited to to see where you're at this time next year and maybe, you know, do another podcast. But uh, thanks yep. so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saws.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.